0: I didn't hear the question. I was asked if I drew any of those figures. I did not. I also didn't do any of the background music, <laughs> but uh, yeah, or I have other comments that should remain silent. How many of you have seen the movie Black Sheep with Chris Farley and David Spade? Raise your hand. Yeah, we got the... All right, well, uh, Chris Farley, if you haven't seen the movie, is the black sheep of the family. Um, Raise your hand if you know what I mean when I say black sheep, that term that's used in our culture. Okay, yeah, good. Um, Chris Farley was the brother of a politician who was running for governor of, oh darn it, I think, Washington? I think, way up in the Northwest, anyway. what happens throughout the movie is the brother running for governor tries to get Chris Farley out of the way because he keeps embarrassing him. He keeps messing up, screwing up, getting on TV and screwing up the campaign, all that stuff. So David Spade comes to yank him out of the way and take him out into the country until the election's over. And it's a very funny movie. Chris Farley is without a doubt the main character in this movie. He is the black sheep. Um, How many of you have felt like uh, the black sheep of your family or of Your close relationships, or yeah, you know, I knew in our community that would be the case Um, because of the addiction and sin in my past. um, I very, very much was a black sheep for some of the people in my family, also in my extended family, and in business relationships um, became the black sheep. And so, I know what that feels like, I know what rejection feels like. And the idea of a black sheep um, is uh, one that came to us from the uh, actual herds of sheep where occasionally one of the sheep in a, in a herd would, be, would, be, would come out black. In 17 and 1800s England, um, they would believe that this black sheep uh, became black because of uh, the devil, that it was cursed. Mm-hmm. And the reason why the black sheep wasn't good, you would think that maybe if there was only one and most of them were white, that the uniqueness would make it more, of more value. Well, that wasn't the case because the wool, wasn't uh, di- they couldn't dye it. So it didn't have any real use on the market. It was, wasn't valuable to them. The, that sheep's wool was essentially useless. Um, this idea of black sheep um, in our lives connects with the four stories in a lot of ways that we heard of the women in the Bible tonight. Now, I know a lot of you uh, love to hear me preach for 30 minutes, and some of you have really started bothering me to go more like 45 minutes to an hour. I would love to do that for you. <laughs> just deadpan silence. But I can't cover in any kind of depth all four of those women's stories in tonight's message and bring it home to you in a way that you can take home with you. So what we're gonna do here is we're gonna dial in and we're gonna, we're gonna look very closely at the stories of Tamar from Genesis 38, if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, and we're gonna look at Rahab from Joshua chapter two. Now we're gonna see that rejection, becoming the black sheep, Being a cast aside can come from our sin and our selfishness. We can just flat screw up and those in our lives not give us grace, not give us forgiveness, give up on us, lose hope in us, and send us out of their lives. But then we're also going to see from these stories and from the scripture that you can become a black sheep by way of just the sin and brokenness that you see in society, in the systems of this world that are so broken that it, particularly in that time, in that day, that women were subjugated, they were oppressed, they had no rights, they had no recourse, they had no way to, they had no way to find justice in their system. But regardless, whether, you're, whether you feel rejected by a system that has imposed injustice on you or whether you feel rejected because of sin in your own life and struggle from your own past or present, we're gonna see that the God of these four women, the God of the Bible, the God that brings us all the way to the birth, life, death, and resurrection and reign of Jesus Christ is a God that takes rejection, the rejection of this world from the different ways that I mentioned and he turns it into redemption. That is what our God is about. It's what he does. It's the business of God to take those that feel like they're cast aside, take those that feel like they're of no worth or value, that they've done too many things, that have destroyed too many relationships, and our God is a God who redeems that. So to summarize uh, Tamar's story, I love how politically correct the video was because of some messiness. Tamar has twins. Well, here's how she had the twins. Uh, She wasn't uh, allowed by Judah to marry the youngest son, even when he got old enough to marry. So she took matters into her own hands and she went up the road after Judah's wife died uh, to where he was going to uh, conduct some business. And she put on the uh, garment of a prostitute um, and covered her face so that she wouldn't know, or so that Judah wouldn't know who she was. Uh, Judah sleeps with her and to be... Promise it for collateral. He gives her his staff and his signet. And so she's got a hold of this thing and she doesn't stay there. Um, she conceives with her father in law, uh, Judah. And when Judah finds out later on that she's pregnant, he believes that she's pregnant because she's supposed to be waiting on his son to come of age and be given to her. He believes that her pregnancy is from sexual immorality and he says, kill her. So Genesis 38, Judah is saying, off with her, she, is, she has sinned, let's, let's bring justice. She, in some way that isn't really detailed, she gets word back to Judah that she's got the signet and the staff and that's the oh crap moment for Judah. <laughs> Whoops! And he says, in the text he says, for, do not kill her, for she is more righteous than I. So he has that moment where he realizes, you know what, I wanna do away with her, but she actually got one over on me because she went after justice for herself because I had wronged her. Now, this is messy. Have you seen all the applications now where it's like married, divorced, widowed, and they're starting to put, it's complicated, okay? Now, it's not just on Facebook, all right? It's Guys, the Bible is complicated. Stories in the Old Testament especially that would make Maury Povic blush, It's some messy, messy stuff. But what we have to understand, you can look at the story of Tamar and you can think, okay, well, she was justified in doing that. She had to do something. Judah was treating her unjustly and she needed to do something about it. The problem with that is throughout the scriptures, we see God telling us, look, if you feel rejected by this world, I'm not asking you to take revenge. I'm asking you to leave vengeance to me. This is what God says in Exodus 14, 14, after he delivers his people out of the land of Egypt, they're up against the ocean and Pharaoh's chasing after him and they're freaking out. And Moses is like, guys, chill, guys and girls, chill out. In Exodus 14, 14, Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And then in later on in the New Testament, we see in Romans chapter 12, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he says, "'Dear friends, never take revenge. "'Leave that to the righteous anger of God. "'For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. "'I will pay them back,' says the Lord. "'Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. "'If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. "'In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame "'on their heads. "'Don't let evil conquer you, "'but conquer evil by doing good.'" So Tamar is going after justice on her own. And what we see is that yes, she felt rejected. Yes, she wanted to find justice. She wanted to do it at the vigil anyway, that God is gonna redeem that. He is. But the lesson for us is if we feel like we're being rejected, that we're being treated unjustly, we leave vengeance to God. Now there are times and ways that God works through people to bring justice, the civil rights movement. So it's a good example of that. William Wilberforce in London to do away with the slave trade and in Great Britain and so yes, you might be called at some point to work for justice in the name of God for the glory of God, but God is not asking us to take revenge. We're never asked to take revenge. Now in Rahab's story, we see something quite different. We don't know why Rahab is a prostitute or a harlot in the city of Jericho. But when the spies come uh, from Joshua and the spy come to like, scout out Jericho and see how are we gonna take the city, the walls are tall, they run into Rahab. The Bible makes it very clear that she, she is a prostitute. And when Rahab speaks to them, in Joshua chapter two, she talks of how they already know about their God. Like she says that the people, in the people in Jericho, were shaking in our boots because we've heard about how you're taking that land and you're knocking over that king. We even heard about the stuff your God did in Egypt, splitting seas, beating Pharaoh. Like people in this town are freaking out that you're coming after us. And so what can I do? So these two, she's got a whole city, an armed city, and then two spies from God's people. And she makes a very important choice. And she says, what can I do? How can I help you? This is significant because Rahab takes a chance. Here's a culture where she is a prostitute for whatever reason. She obviously doesn't have a lot of rights in that time. So she may have just chosen it because of horrible you know consequences horrible upbringing lack of opportunity she may have for her own selfish reasons we we don't know but in that moment Rahab says i'm choosing god's people i'm choosing god i'm turning back and i'm no longer going to side with the city of jericho the system of jericho in the God or the godlessness, the gods, the false gods or the godlessness that reigns in this town. Now, why is that important for us today? That's important because I've uh, been free from my addiction for eight and a half years, praise Jesus. Um, And one of the things that I saw happen early on in 2008, and when I look across here and I see some of you that are really walking in the light, you're walking in purity, you've taken the steps you've needed to take, is that you've had that moment where you encountered God or God's people or the message of God and the gospel, and you said, I'm going that way. And those of you that are still struggling, those of you that are falling, those of you that continue to fall back into the old lifestyle and the old addictions and the old hurts and the habits and hang-ups, you've got one foot in Jericho and you've got one foot talking to the spies and you're trying to live in both worlds. And the story of Rahab teaches us that that doesn't work. You've got to choose sides. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, this is from the message, it's a paraphrase of the Bible. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Now, Christians have used uh, this, if you've, in more of the like traditional translations, it's uh, called being unequally yoked. Have you, have you heard that? This is the text. We just read that paraphrase from. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Paul is not saying don't have relationships with unbelievers. Paul is not saying don't, share the gospel with people who don't believe. Paul is not saying don't love people who don't love God. Paul is saying don't be partners. Don't be unequally yoked. A yoke was something that was thrown over an ox so that two would be under the yoke and be far more powerful than either one of them on their own or both of them even together. The yoke was something that brought them together, tied them together. What Rahab understood was that if she was going to make this commitment with God, she couldn't look back. She couldn't stay in her old life. She couldn't, uh, Jericho was going down and which side was she gonna be on? I was mowing the grass today and uh, I know, I don't mow that often. And so it was super tall, it's raining a lot, right? And uh, so uh, I mow in uh, the front yard and I'm, I'm looking around and there's just grass everywhere. How many people are having to mow now and it's just, it's just grass everywhere. And so I'm like, one of the things that drives my wife crazy who keeps an insanely clean house is when we track all, all that grass, the grass shavings, right, from mowing. And I'm, uh, I'm mowing today and, and I think to myself, I'm gonna rake. This is like crazy, because I hate housework, yard work, I hate all this stuff. And I say, i want to start rake. So I start raking the front yard, right, baby? I rake the whole front yard. And it dawned on me, as I'm like going over this message in my head, that that's kind of similar to what we have to do with the relationships in our life that continue to bring destruction, continue to bring chaos and dysfunction. We got to rake them up and we got to get them out. We can think that we mow them like weeds we and think that we mow them and just leave them there in our life. But they don't just stay out there in the yard, do they? They get on your feet. They come in the house, it gets in your soul, and you bring it into every other relationship that you have in your life. Raking up that dead grass is a great illustration for me of what it looked like for me back in 2008 to change my number, to bash my computer with a bat, to, I mean, just like cut off relationships with people who are bringing you further and further away from God. Rahab does that. It's amazing, think about what she's risking. In the story you saw, they came to her, hey, we heard there were some spies, where are they? Uh, she hit him in the wall. She lived in the wall of the city, and she hit him in there. And she's like, oh yeah, they went that way. You ought to go out there, you could probably catch them. That's risky, right? There, wasn't, there was no due process like that, she couldn't have gotten arrested and then she's gonna have a hearing. They catch her, she's bam, dead. But that's the risk that Rahab was willing to take because she had heard the stories of God, she had encountered now at this point the people of God and she was willing to make a choice that could cost her her life. But she also knew at the same time, I think deep down, which we do too when that moment comes, that really this is the only life worth living, as hard as it might get. So Rahab's a prostitute. This is like, if you look at three of the four women's stories that were up there, uh, sexual sin is is a big issue in three out of four of them. Uh, Ruth is the only one that doesn't have that issue. And in the two that I'm highlighting, we've got a prostitute and a would-be kind of uh, posing as a prostitute to seduce a father-in-law. Now, I'm guessing that that isn't the um, sin or sexual sin that many of us are struggling with. I doubt many of you are plotting to seduce your father-in-law or go into the business of prostitution. Um, But (laughs) sexual sin is something that is bringing down families, it's bringing down relationships, and in this culture, it's bringing people and drawing people further and further away from God, all the time. And I know, I get it, guys, I get it. I I had to be single for, was it like 14 months or something? Purity is hard. It is really hard. But just because we're in the American culture that is hyper sexualized to the extreme, commercials, TV, billboards, magazine, it's just Facebook everywhere is bringing into your face that if you could have romantic and sexual, free from no strings attached experiences, that's what you need to be fully fulfilled. That will make you happy. Those of us that have gone that route know what that feels like after it's over, if you're following Jesus. I can't tell you how many times in the past eight years I've sat down with people who give in, people that are truly following Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're wrecked, over a few minutes of gratification. We think in our culture, even Christians, if you pull them, that for somehow that God has created us as sexual beings, that he's given us thousands of years of teaching. Jesus confirms this teaching of, of what God created sex to be. And we think somehow after all these thousands of years as an American society, that we can amend what is okay with God and what is not. And I'm afraid to tell you we cannot. Tamar and Rahab, rejects in their cultures, set aside, cast aside by the people in control, the people in power, even the people in their families. Rahab and Tamar, no power whatsoever. They're in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? For me, this is one, this is one of the reasons why I am convinced that the scriptures are the true word of God, because no man could, would make this stuff up. No, no, they couldn't. Nobody would say, Hey, let's write a book about God and put this stuff in there and then say, not only is this the stuff we're going to say really stinks about humankind, which it did, we're going to take it and we're going to show how it leads in the bloodline the family line of the savior himself fully God, fully human savior with this in his family tree? You can't make it up. Why is this good news for us? That's not a rhetorical question. I used to preach with a lot of feedback. Why is this good news for us? Who would like to throw something out there? Yeah, Adam. Adam. Mm, great question. That's a great question. We should talk after this about that. You want to get together and talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's tough stuff. We've got the LGBTQ, it's a, help me out. Well, there's a couple of additional letters that have come on board. But Christians like to look at that Christians who believe in the biblical definition of sexuality, and they like to look at uh, those that are among that population or culture and say, sinner, sexual sin. Not saying the same thing at all about the divorce rate in Christian marriages, about affairs that run rampant, about pornography addiction. Because heterosexual sexual sin is apparently different. but that's a different message. Why else? Would someone else like to throw a reason out there why this is good news for us, that Rahab and Tamar are in the family line of Jesus Christ. Somebody like that can be in in the family of God, then anybody can, right, Eddie? Then anybody can, and anybody includes you, and anybody includes me. I said last week, if the gospel isn't for everyone, then it is not for anyone. So Chris Farley in the movie Black Sheep, Chris Farley um, gets to the end of it and he ends up redeeming the day. So his antics, his, he's a mess. But whatever he and David Spade figure out how the governor's, his brother's uh, running, the person he's running a candidate he's running against was corrupt and they expose that, save the day. The black sheep actually ends up uniting back with his brother. That's Unfortunately, that's not the case for me. Um, I have a brother two years younger than me, who I am not still in relationship with. Efforts to reach out have been unsuccessful. So that story of redemption has yet to be written. The movies turn out, always turn out, right? Life doesn't always turn out that way. Here's one thing that happens. Your past might have made you the black sheep You may have relationships that are still strained. You may have relationships that are still fractured, not reconciled. But if you sign up for following Jesus, you get a new family. You get new brothers and sisters. I can tell you right now, when I've gone through some of the hardest stuff I've gone through in my life, it's been the church family that I've turned to. It's been my brothers and sisters in Christ that have been there for me. That have sat with me, that have prayed through it with me. That's what you get—is you get a new family. Shane uh, Robertson is up in the booth, and he put this post on Facebook this week. I, I just—I was just blown away. We have a life change plan here at church at the center that we do and Schweitzer with uh, New Beginnings Sanctuary, but we also have some people outside of the New Beginnings program that are signing up for this life change plan. It's a discipleship plan where we partner with you. Don't have time to get into the details, but after three months of being in the plan, we get this really nice life application study Bible and we engrave it. And Shane put on his Facebook page, my Bible I just received from my church for three months of being in the plan. Thank you for this amazing gift. And don't thank Marcus and I thank God. God has been bringing this all to fruition. But what that made me think of when I saw Shane's post, Shane's family now. Like Shane knows that he could call me, he could call his mentor in the life change plan, Doug. He knows he could call Marcus. He knows he has a family. Now we fear rejection as Christians. We still do. We still are, are worried about whether are not our closest relationships are gonna fall through on us. We do. But when you get into a relationship with God, you know that you are accepted at a level that human rejection can never touch you like it used to be able to touch you. Never, ever touch you like that again. I'm struck by a couple of uh, sayings of Jesus. And um, when we talk about the family of God, when we talk about brothers and sisters in Christ being this bond together, and I'm not downplaying the blood relationships and the family relationships that you have in this world. They could be very healthy. I don't know. They may be believers, they may not. But the brothers and sisters in this room that you have in Christ, look around. Brothers and sisters in Christ, look around, left and right. You will spend eternity with them. You're gonna be with them forever and they're gonna be with you. Jesus said, when his mother and his brothers were trying to get into this room where he was teaching and preaching, uh, they said, your, your mother and your brothers, they can't get in. They, they need to talk to you and they can't get in to talk to you. And, and he says, who are my mother and who are my brothers and sisters but those that hear the word of God and obey it? Ouch. Man, she raised you, dude. <laughs> and those brothers were with you. No, he's saying, I'm on this mission now And I have blood family, but I'm about to do something that's gonna bring the entire world into a relationship with God, an opportunity for that. So where do we go from here? If we have the black sheep kind of past, if we have it in our present, even daily life right now, when you came here tonight, you're still the black sheep for whatever reason. Well, you don't get a do-over. We were at a leadership conference this week and Bill Hybels, the preacher from Chicago, said this. I liked it. With God, there are no do-overs, but there are makeovers. There are no do-overs, but there are makeovers. We can all leave here tonight with a fresh start. In the story, I told you that Rahab put the spies in the, uh, in the wall. And so she had a window that was facing out. And when... She said they come with the army, or the the spies told her, when we come with the army, take a red thread, a red rope, and take that red rope and hang it out your window. That's how we'll know. The red rope, the red cord, that's how we're gonna know. It's you and your family. Make sure everyone in your family is in the room with you. And we'll spare you. We'll spare you and your family. And that is exactly what happened. What is the significance of that red rope? That red rope points back Not too long in their history to a time when the people of Egypt were in Israel and to escape the death of the firstborn sons of every home in Israel, they killed a lamb and they took the blood of the lamb and they painted it across the doorpost. The blood of the lamb protected everyone inside that house from death. Now the red cord is hanging out Rahab's window to save her from death. The blood of the lamb the red cord in Joshua 2 are all pointing to Jesus. They're all pointing to the savior of the world. They're all teaching us, they're teaching mankind that you need a savior. You won't be able to save yourself. Something's gonna have to step in. Something else is gonna have to die so you, so you don't. This is what Joshua 2 is teaching us. This is what the Exodus story teaches us. And tonight, I'm gonna throw these I didn't want a spoiler alert, but I'm gonna throw these around on the stage. These are thread, red thread banded, whoa, this one made the coffee. I'm gonna throw these, and when you come through the communion line, if you're ready tonight, maybe for the first time, to say, you know what, I need a savior. I've lived my life rejected. I've felt like the black sheep. I wanna have a relationship with God where my salvation is so secure, where I truly and deeply and eternally believe that his shed blood across the doorposts of my heart has saved me. If you wanna do that for the first time tonight, pick up one of these red threaded wristbands. Have it be symbolic for you of God's salvation. And if you're already a, ch- a child of God here tonight, pick one up so that every time you look at it this week, as long as you'll remember it, you'll think God himself offered his son up so that I might live. God takes rejection and he turns it to redemption. What does redemption, what is, what is redemption even look like? It looks like freedom over addictions in our life. It looks like you don't have to go back to that anymore. It looks like that the power of God comes into your life and you overcome. It looks like you can love people who hate you. It looks like you have a family now. You'll never feel alone again. That's what redemption looks like. It looks like when you lay your head on the pillow and you may not have ever been able to experience this in your life to this point, but there is a chance through redemption that you can lay your head on the pillow and be at peace. I know there were decades of my adult life where I could not have said that. Can you say that? Can you say that you are so at peace with the salvation of God that while you aren't perfect, you are moving and striving and leaning into God, getting up from every sin and moving closer to him, being more and more thankful for what you have, more and more loving for those who are hurting and those who are rejected, and feel rejected like you once did. That's what redemption looks like. How many of you are ready for that? Yeah, you can raise your hands. How many of you are ready for a life that looks like that? Joshua chapter 2, verses 18 and 21. We'll just read the two verses. We sang scripture earlier. I love that song, Your Love is Strong. I love singing scripture. The spies tell Rahab, when we come into the land, you must leave the scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. Take one of these scarlet red wristbands if you believe this if you truly believe that God has saved you, take it, let it remind you that you are no longer rejected, that Jesus chose to be rejected so that you would be accepted. You are not a reject. God made you and he does not make mistakes. Preachers like to get up and talk about sin and brokenness and hell, fire, and damnation. That happens in the Bible. But you know what? Genesis 1 and 2, God created humankind in his image and likeness, and it was what? Good. And it was good. That's what redemption is. It's going back to Genesis 2. It's going back to when it's good. The life change plan I alluded to a little bit earlier. Um, We're gonna have, Marcus and I are gonna have in the conference room through those double doors during the meal, we're gonna be talking about the life change plan. And we invite you, if you're not a part of New Beginnings, um, if you wanna know a little bit about that, it's pretty heavy lifting discipleship that we would like to offer people outside of New Beginnings even. If you wanna come hear about it, come in there. Jim, would you mind coming up for communion? Allow me to pray as Jim comes forward to do communion. God, thank you for everyone in this room tonight. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to put our red cords out the window to paint our blood across the door, your blood across the doorposts of our hearts so that we might be saved thank you for taking us bunch of rejects and making us redeemed you are you are so good and we are so thankful in Jesus name amen